Hey, my name is Matt Wake. People pay me to write uh, words about music. Today, I'm with Jay Scott talking words about music on The Hook. Wow. happening everyone what's shaking what's going on how you doing happy friday welcome back to the hook rocks it is jay scott this is the ultimate rock community podcast we are part of the pantheon podcast family of music related podcasts great platform for you to check out all different types of genres represented um, by many different hosts there is martin popoff the rock historian mistress carrie out in boston Tom and Zeus from the number one rated KISS podcast in the world. Can you believe those two schlugs are uh, the number one KISS podcast? I love those guys. They're great friends, but congrats to them. And the Hanging and Banging podcast with Ron and Esty, Carmen Apice, and Vinny Apice. Uh, I've had Ron on. I've had Carmine on as well. And don't forget the Ugly American Werewolf in London rock podcast. Got Mac B out in there, out in London. Uh, transplant from Florida. Just had him on. Had some awesome podcast episodes too, as well. Recently, we had some great new music spotlights with the Mysterines, with Fortune Child, with Georgia Thunderbolts, many others. We do about 40% of our episodes are geared and focused towards new music, new bands. Uh, always love shine a spotlight on where the emerging rock bands are coming from. Also had Scott Gorham in February, had Ty Tabber from King's X a couple of weeks ago, too, as well. That was a great episode. And we've got plenty more coming up, plenty more that we've done. Don't forget to set your app wherever you listen to podcasts to automatic download so you get the latest and greatest Hook Rocks podcast. And don't forget to write us a review. Uh, geez, we, we're coming up on 375 episodes. Been doing this for almost three years. We just got some great news, too. We're number 17 in Canada, so that's great news. We're number 24 in the U.S. and 32 in the U.K. And we're the highest-rated podcast that focuses on new rock and metal music. So it's a labor of love. We love doing it. We've got a great episode, another great new music spotlight, another band for you to check out. It's a little bit of a soft spot you know, for me because they're from Chicago, and they're recording right now in my hometown, which is Des Plaines, Illinois. If you don't like trains and planes, don't live in Des Plaines. 
I'd like to welcome Mikey V from Chains Over Razors. What's happening, man? What's happening, dude? That was the best intro I've ever heard. I think CBS needs to be calling you. That I've, was fantastic. I've often said this. I've often said this. Yes. So <laughs> that was great. I couldn't have done it that smooth. It was it's like all for memory. All I don't, I don't have any cards at all in front of me. That's man, what happens when you do 370 plus episodes. Oh man, congrats on that. Thank you. That's, that's Thank awesome. you. So man, you're in Joe Rogan, watch out, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're in displays right now. You're recording music. Um, mm-hmm. have you, have you done a walk around Lake Opeka to kind of clear the air? Have you done any, I, I, I think they're golfing now at Lake Opeka. You can do some, uh, nine, uh, I think there's nine holes there. On a, on a par three course, we used to do that. And what we used to do, because it faces Tui <laughs> Avenue. People who are listening don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's like four holes that face Tui Avenue. And it's a busy street. It's the street that uh, connects kind of O'Hare to Des Plaines, almost. Higgins and Tui. So obviously there's a lot of traffic. And the reason why there's nets up... <laughs> Is because my friends and I, when we were in high school, we used to hit golf balls as hard and as far as we could to hit cars in traffic. So that's, well, that's why there's why nets that, up that there. Is there. It's because of you and your buddies, Jay. Huh? <laughs> I was always wondering, like, when did they put up those nets? Like, I don't remember that. Back in 1992. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You started it off. See? You set in trends in many ways, my friends. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that is awesome. It's one of my, <laughs> my 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 contributions to society. So, and and of course, you know, the, the statue of limitations has completely exceeded. So, uh, I don't think I can get in any trouble for that. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's there now. The nets are right. all good, and right. I'm pretty sure you uh, you missed the cars, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll just say some that. of them. Some of them we yeah. missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a uh, Billy Madison film. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. We'd walk out of school at 255. My buddy had like three clubs in his car and we'd go golfing and that's what we would do. We'd get on the four hole and we just start shooting shooting golf balls over over in the traffic. Yeah, you didn't try getting in the middle of the pond on the paddle boats, see how far you can hit it from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, paddle well, boats, man. If you were not in shape. And it was a hot day. You could be stuck in the middle of that cramping up and everything, <laughs> yeah. especially after like a, <laughs> I've seen it after like a night of boozing at like a keg party. You know, you, you're you're paddling with your legs, and all of a sudden, all your dehydrate you're so dehydrated from the night before. <laughs> you're like, oh my god, I can't make it back. I can't make it back. Like, my it's a bad are idea. Up. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're dry heaving. <laughs> yes, yes, plenty of dry heaving too, as well. And I wouldn't um, recommend drinking that water. <laughs> water, and then you know what? I discovered at a young age, Pedialyte was uh, yeah. is is very good for uh, dehydration, <laughs> especially after a night of boozing. So that, and uh, I've been in tune with some coconut water, which okay. Okay. really works the next day. Make sure it's the pressed coconut water. Get those vitamins, or you'll be miserable if you don't. <laughs> there, there is a. Um... A forest preserve at the corner of Oakton and River. And right behind, there's a dealership over there. Yeah. I got hit by a deer last year on Christmas Eve when I was leaving the studio, working on our album to go and visit the family. And out of nowhere, this big buck, full stride, you know, like uh, something you would see on National Geographic, 
flies right inside of my truck and sends me out to the other lane. Wow. Smashed my window. I mean, I saw the big brown eye and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how am I supposed to report this? Like everything Google says is to report that you hit a deer. Right. Nothing about a deer hitting you. <laughs> <laughs> did it, did it, did you kill it or did he kill himself? Uh, I'm pretty sure the shock made him run into that forest and dropped him after that. He hit me so hard. Uh, yeah. That's the side fender of my truck also. Wow. Big, big deer. And I was like, Man, I'm like, Rudolph couldn't wait to get off his shift, huh? No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Sometimes they survive. Those big ones, you got, you got to really, I mean, they, they can make it after something like that, you know? The amount of horns that thing had on its head wow. Wow. It would be a hunter's dream if deer season was open. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it was big. And every car behind me, I could see in my rear view mirror, were stunned at a complete stop. And I'm just sitting there like, that just happened? <laughs> like wow. how am I gonna drive home with a shattered windshield? I'm like Ace Ventura with the head out the window, you know, down the expressway <laughs> on I ninety, trying to get back. Like I hope I don't get pulled over because this looks stupid as hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that forest preserve, uh, I remember vaguely a night where I drank two forty ounce bottles of old English. Oh no. And that's the first time I discovered that you don't eat greasy foods when you've had too much alcohol. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> depends on which end it was coming out of. <laughs> uh, we used to go to Caldwell Woods back in the day, and uh, we built a little shack in the middle, but somebody bulldozed it. We used to just run across Caldwell and party in there all night, even built a little fireplace out of uh, garbage cans. I mean, it was a, I mean, it was a nice little setup. I mean, every every teenage group has a forest preserve spot. Yeah, you know when they're when they're young. Every everybody has that. Yeah, good times, man. Yeah, good times. Spotty, also, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes. you do a lot of running. Seriously, if you see some flashlights coming up on you, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I remember I the cops. The, the, the cops would bust us because we'd set the bonfire and they could see the smoke above the tree line. <laughs> We didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, well, hey, man, oh it, it's great to have you on. Um, great uh, to have a, a local Chicago band on here as well. Um, we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest, and that's really what we're all about, just like every rock and, and metal song that you know pulls you in, has a hook that pulls you in. You know, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, my God. Going back. What hooked me back in the day, I would say the first time someone ever showed me Master of Puppets by Metallica and just hearing that intro riff. I mean, I must have rewound it a million times like this is the most brutal thing I've ever heard. Um, and then from there, I went down a rabbit hole to Sepultura, um, to Testament. I mean, I think there was a point where I even hit Deicide for a few oh, minutes wow. where my friends and I would just mosh to it <laughs> because that's what we did when we were dumb kids, <laughs> you know, just beat the hell out of each other. Um, got into a lot of, uh, Duff Leopard. Um, but then, uh, 
one that really then sent it was Aerosmith for me. My friend dragged me to Alpine Valley and, uh, you know, I didn't have any Aerosmith records. And he's like, you gotta go. We went, that was it. I went and bought every album the next day at Rolling Stones Records. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. Gene and Jude's I mean, afterwards? I didn't do Gene and Jude's. No, but that is still around. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I've had Gene and Jude's. Uh, I'm near, I'm closer to Superdog. So it's, yeah, that's, but Superdog, uh, you need to take a loan out to get a freaking hot dog. It's you know? even more expensive now. I think it's like nine sixty it's like for a it's dog. It's like a hot dog. It's like the bottom of the barrel, you know, like yeah. the last remnants of meat that they could make into a casing. And you're charging me five bucks for a hot dog? Get out of here, you know? Yeah, it used, it used to be five bucks. I mean, I wonder yeah. if they're factoring the gas prices right. a lot right. more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hot dogs should not me, cost that much money. I, I, I miss all of that. Um, I mean, I started having issues with gluten uh, going into the pandemic, so I had to cut all that out. It was uh, a long, tough road and trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with me and yeah. uh, what I was dealing with. And so, I mean, I miss Superdog. I do miss the fries. You know, I miss all that good junk food. I mean, gin and juice, come on. I mean, the rumor was they used to use the same oil. That was what made it so great. And all that flavor. And I mean, even when uh, Thirsty Whale was around, yeah, you went to Gin and Jude's afterwards. And, you know, yeah. you know, three sheets to the wind, you know, that was your meal to straighten you up to get through the neighborhood from the cops. <laughs> How about the parking lot at Gin and Jude's after a Thirsty Whale show? Oh, my God. I it mean, it was a party. It was, there was violence. <laughs> there was, they, they used to have a cop stationed in Gene and Jude's on a Friday yeah. and Saturday night. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, that reminded me of the movie, uh, Dazed and Confused. I mean, totally. that was like the perfect example of anybody wanted to know what it was like. You had it all there and just people stumbling. <laughs> it, it was, it was hilarious. You just hope I, that your friends don't call you the next day and be like, dude, what'd you do? <laughs> yeah. You remember the remember the old guy that worked at Gene and Jude's? Yeah. So I was in there after a Thirsty Whale show, and some guy was like giving this the, you know, the older guy grief, and the guy behind the counter, Gene and Jude's, just grabbed him by the shirt and like pulled him over the counter. And literally like five Gene and Jude's workers are just pummeling the shit out of <laughs> That's the old school mentality. That was it, man. That was yeah. it. You know, it was all about respect. And if you're broke, it you got what you deserved. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, now today, God forbid, you defended yourself. <laughs> you know, so true. So true. They end up suing you for defending yourself. <laughs> totally. Totally. And yeah. how about the fact that, that Rolling Stone Records is still around? Like that. Oh is- my God. I would go in there when I was a little shit. I'd go in there three, four times a day. Nothing else to do. I'd ride my bike there, mm-hmm. scan through all the CDs, see what imports. I mean, I'm pretty sure they thought I was stealing, which I never stole from there. I would always buy with my mm-hmm. hard-earned allowance back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, you, you always found something new. And the cool listening stations. Yeah. And uh, now I haven't been in there recently, but I heard that they have, like, cool vinyl section to check on out so i gotta stop in there the fact that they have survived the streaming world is amazing 
Totally. I, I usually take my son there once or twice a year. And uh, I remember the first time I took him, he was like 10. I'm like, yeah, we're going to a record store. He's like, what do you mean a record store? I'm like, yeah, I got <laughs> records. He's like, just records? I'm like, pretty much. Yeah. You know, he's like, they just sell records. They don't sell anything else. I'm like, well, they've got like novelty items like posters and shirts and hats and stuff. But it's about 95%, you know, music. Man, I bought an awesome Slayer shirt there. Now, I can't find it. But it was so cool how the whole shirt was designed. I mean, it was just evil. And uh, and then once you were done with Rolling Stones, you went to Beyond the Limit. Yes. yes. And then you checked that place out, which I was actually in there a couple months ago, uh, looking at some uh, piercing jewelry in there and then checking out their shirts. Yeah. Uh, ladies still rocking it over there, man. I got, years ago, I got a picture disc clock of Led Zeppelin. Oh, awesome. This is probably 25 years ago. You know, but they always had cool stuff that you couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. You know, they had like the off, like, you know, like the, the cool t-shirts and, and all that stuff. And, and the posters were great. That was a cool place. That, that is a cool oh, place, man. you know? So, so awesome. Uh, that, the guy that was running that place too, um, I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, I hope he's okay. Uh, but man, he had me on the floor laughing. I remember walking in there just checking out because they would have rare import CDs too. Uh, in in the back of the store, you know, they're all their ledges, and and this guy, younger kid, walks in and asks him. He's like, "Do you any have any gray hair dye?" <laughs> and the guy looks at him. And he's like, what "The fuck do you want gray hair dye? Isn't the whole point dyeing your hair so that it's not gray?" <laughs> and I just lost it. <laughs> it was the funniest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> he just stared at him and walked that out. It was great. I'm like, you're going into a rock store, man. Like, you're getting if if you can't handle getting dished out on, like, then don't go in there. I remember there used to be a place in in uh, Wheeling called Hipcat Records. I have and, not been there. And they're they're in Evanston now, I think. But they used to have the guy was a big Pink Floyd guy, right? Nice. And you know, I'd go there, and I was a big Zeppelin bootleg collector. I still am. Nice. And I was one of the very few people that was invited beyond the counter in the back room. Wow. All the boxes of like imports were and stuff. And I would just get on like the CD Walkman and be listening to these bootlegs and stuff. And, you know, he'd always have like incense, you know, like uh, lit in the, <laughs> in the, in the record store. And they had those old plastic containers with the, with the CDs in them, you know, that were like all like bulky to, to, you know, prohibit theft and stuff. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So but you got to hear uncut tracks. I mean, yeah, just, totally. You know, bottom stuff before that leaked out later on in the years. Oh, that's yeah. cool, man. Now you can get everything on streaming. You get everything on YouTube. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can Google it. You'll find it. Or yeah. some torrent site somewhere in other side of the world. <laughs> I remember getting Ace Freely's autograph at Rolling Stone. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I met Megadeth over there, okay. and it was during their cryptic writings. Um, it was like 98, before I saw them at Ozfest. Um, nice. But uh, it was awesome getting to meet, you know, the original lineup of Megadeth. Yeah, it was, it was, it was something. And they actually talked to even Marty Freeman about recording and stuff like that. I mean, 
this was way before I even went down that rabbit hole. And it was just interesting to talk to him. And outside the security guards, like, all right, come on, kid, move. <laughs> Let's go. And you're like, what? We're talking councils, man. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're gear talking here, you know? I remember, you know, bringing it back to Master of Puppets that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I remember the radio station WVVX 103.1. Oh, yeah. I remember when they debuted Master of Puppets. And I had heard Fade to Black and I had heard some other Metallica songs too as well. Um, but I, it was more or less kind of just in the background. I never really focused on it. And I remember sitting down for the premiere and hearing Battery and then Master of Puppets like, what is this? This is incredible. Yeah. This is insane. Yeah. I mean, so supercharged. Yeah. I mean, even just how the album was mixed, the, the playing that's going on. I mean, nothing was ever done like that at that moment. I mean, there were a lot of great bands that, uh, you know, I mean, like Sepultura was definitely on their way on up at that moment. Mm -hmm. And, but I mean, like the orchestration, the classical feel of, of what Cliff have brought to the band. And I mean, even damage inked when that guitar just swells on in, like, all right, man. Like gun it at the red light. Let's go. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like <laughs> nothing's I, gonna catch us. <laughs> I remember them playing. I don't remember what venue they were playing at, but I remember sleeping over at a friend's house and then riding my bike over to Forest View Bowling Alley. Um, oh my god! Yeah, and they were Metallica was there, like sitting there just like hanging out. Like you, I couldn't get near them because I was still young. But they were yeah. like at Forest View Bowling Alley. Wow. Yeah. Day off, binge drinking, throwing Pretty the ball much. in the other lanes. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. I mean, it was like there was a haze of smoke because you could smoke in the, you know, in, indoors yeah. back then. Um, but it was right. just a surreal moment. What? Wow. Uh, what are the odds of that? Yeah. <laughs> what are the? What are the? Uh, what's the Aerosmith Alpine Valley show that you went to? Was that the one with Johnny Lang? It was. I was at that one. Dude, yeah. man, I mean, talk about a different crowd setting. I mean, people were puking and everyone would cheer when that would happen. So it's like, <laughs> you, you, you knew that's what someone just barfed all over the place and the show didn't even start yet. And uh, yeah, Johnny Lang was awesome. Yeah, he was like he 17 was back then. I was. Yeah. I was, so was he. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, God, I think I was in my early 20s. Maybe yeah, early twenties when when uh, when I saw that show, and I think that was I'm trying to remember if Van Halen Skid Row was after that or before that, but oh. that was either the last one or the second to last one that I went to at Alpine Valley. Oh, there was one that yes, they did play on that bill. I think that was the second one after. Um, they did they did a few runs at Alpine Valley. I remember seeing Johnny Lang. Skid Row, I think, was on another one. Skid Row was with Van Halen, and, and also, I think, the third act was Our Lady Peace. Yes. Yes. Oh, I Why don't they that. have concerts anymore at Alpine Valley? Like, it's I don't such know. such a great venue. I, you know, the last thing I read is that they were selling the place. Then another buyer came in and picked it up. Then they had this idea that now you're allowed to camp there. 
overnight because everyone would just party their asses off yeah. in in the lots and barbecue. And it was private so property, so you couldn't get in trouble. Yeah. So and then that was it. And I, I my my favorite concerts I've ever seen was at Alpine Valley. The oh, sound yeah. was amazing. I mean, it was sixty thousand people partying their asses off. Sound louder than any concert that you can even see today. I mean, even with Aerosmith, they were moving molecules. I mean, it was like the Max L commercial with the guy in the chair. You could feel, you know, no, not even a wind gust could even move what they were pushing out there. I mean, it was like cannons. Joe yeah. Perry's guitar would rattle your chest how loud it was. And then uh, I, t- my, I took my twin bro because I was like, you, you, we got to go see Aerosmith. And we went again. I think, God, this was way later after the ones that you were talking about with Skid Row and Our Lady of Peace and, and Van Halen. Um, but I think it was with Motley Crue. I think that Motley Crue even opened up. Now, Aerosmith was doing more of their best of at that moment. Was was that with Kiss? This, that was, yeah. I mean, you're talking now like 2007, 2008. Probably Kiss. Maybe. Maybe. It's so spotty for me. Now, yeah. the time that you and I've seen them, uh, which was like 97, 98. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did everything from Toys in the Attic all the nine lives. So it was three hours long. Yeah. You know, now you get their greatest hits. Right. Which, yeah. which is still awesome. But I mean, at that time, it was, I mean, you could just, you know, walk around and cheers anybody and, hey, you know, we get a hit of that. You get to the, you get to Alpine like around noon, one o'clock, yeah. you know, and there'd be people there throwing frisbees around, you know, and, uh, you'd just be grilling and partying. And by the time the show started, only the strong survived the day yeah. of, 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 you made it into the venue because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were people that didn't, man. I remember like walking over people in the parking lot, that grass parking lot that just, you know, man down, you know, completely stoned out of their mind. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, even at Ozfest, it was like that. I, I snuck in, to the pavilion seats it was right when tool was getting on stage and this guy hands me like a brick of wheat and he's like i'll be right back and he's like and i'm like where am i supposed to hide this thing you know <laughs> he was gone for like two hours <laughs> and, and he finally comes on back smokes this big ass joint and then passes right on out and i'm just like this is nuts well i'm seeing some dude knock someone else out and give him the biggest black eye i've oh, ever yeah. seen yeah. And then you're dodging the Pepsi bottles that are floating past your head from the people on the field while there's bonfires. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, this is how rock concerts work. Totally, know? totally. <laughs> and the and the fact that that experience can no longer happen is yeah. is a shame. Is a shame. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now I'll I'll go into you know a concert with my friends and. Oh, they'll let him write it in, but I'll be the one they'll pat down. And I'm like, well, you know him. You know this guy. Come on. Why are you giving me the hard time here? What what, what do I have? It is such a shame that they do not have concerts there anymore. Because, man, like that would be the thing. Like when you knew you were going to a show at Alpine and and you had your 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 group together, your boys together. And everything, yep. and, and and you were driving up there on Route 12, all the oh, way up. To- like 15 of 
of us. Yeah. You know, like a caravan. You know, yeah. here comes the circus. <laughs> and you'd get there at like noon and you get the grill out, it, you know, actual charcoal grill, you know, yeah. you have burgers and dogs. There was no chicken. It was burgers and dogs and, and, you know, just everything. And the, and the beer was flowing and it was just, yeah. it was, uh, it, trading yeah. drinks with the the other person who's got the trunk of their vehicle open like hey what do you want let's do yeah. some shots and, and i mean it didn't matter you were friends with everybody it, you know now most places everyone wants to give everyone a hard look and you know yeah. god forbid you, you say what's up and want to hang you know everyone's like oh, get away you know back then it was just like it didn't matter didn't it matter people were procreating the back seat now <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know how many children were were as a result of concerts at Alpine Valley, you know? I imagine a lot. <laughs> I imagine a lot. There's probably going to be a day where you're going to interview someone who's probably going to tell you they were one of them. <laughs> totally, totally. So where did That's it go where my there? parents met. <laughs> well, yeah, the parents met, but you know, they never saw each other again. <laughs> yeah, you know. That Lincoln Town Car still has a stain. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where did it go from there for you? With you know all those influences that you talked about, you know, when yeah. did you decide to like you want to be in a band and you know you wanted to get up on stage? I would say around eighteen or nineteen was when my brother and I, you know, decided like let's start a band. Let's jump off the deep end here and, you know, and just started playing shows green as hell on anything that goes on. Not a clue of anything that goes on with the business. All, all it is was like, hey, we got a show. <laughs> let's let's play a show. And um, I think our first show, maybe we were like 18, was at Smiler Coogan's. Um, if, I don't know if you've been there. And, it's something uh, different now? Uh, the sun actually took over the place and redid it, which is awesome. But back then, I mean, it was, it was in a pretty interesting neighborhood, you know, and probably paying off the cops just to keep the place going. You know, times were different then. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we'd, we'd watch rats come flying across the place and we didn't care. It was cool. You know, and, and, uh, that, particular show i mean we weren't we didn't have many originals i mean we might have done like some doors some uh credence Clearwater, you know and the owner's like you guys are young you can't be here and we're like just let us play you know and, and let us play and the next thing you know the place is packed and he's like keep going and we're like <laughs> wait what just happened you wanted us to leave now you want us to keep playing and you know at that time you just kind of improvise what you would remember of the song and then from there, it was just like, you know what? Like, let's start working on originals. And and then that rabbit hole began. And been in and out a bunch of bands throughout the years. And COR, um, Chains Over Razors, is where the first time we actually, surprisingly, and so surreal, started gaining exposure and success with this uh, second album that we did with Carmine Apiece. Uh, he was executive producer and to uh to find out that you debuted number two on the billboard most added artist was like what that's awesome <laughs> like hold on a second <laughs> like am i dreaming here like 
I didn't expect that. And then, and, and it's amazing to see all the hard work and, you know, getting kicked and beaten down and, you know, that all involved in the industry, you know, you, you don't give up, you got to keep going, you know, and, and it's in our blood, man. You, if it's in your blood, you're going to keep doing everything you can. Cause one, you love to play music and you want to share it with everybody, you know, and if you're a fan of your own music, you know, you hope others would be a fan too. And, you know, you write what you like. So, you yeah. know, and inspired by all the years of, of growing up with such a wide range of music influences. But at the end of the day, we just want to kick your ass with it. <laughs> you know, when you, you, who are some influences, some personal influences for you, you know, with the music that you play? Well, I mean, I have to start off and give props to my guitar teachers. Um, you know, yeah. they were a major influence for me and uh turning me out to a, a variety you know they would be like hey there's more out there than just heavy metal and um i mean you could go anywhere from delta blues from robert johnson uh or fleetwood mac which you know Lindsey buckingham amazing guitar player aerosmith obviously metallica pantera testament you know and and it just so it for me, it's always a very difficult question because I feel like if I leave out one later on, I'd be like, oh man, how did I miss that? Like, I love ACDC, <laughs> you know? So I, um, but yeah, man, that, it's such a, they all have had a, an influence and inspiration in, you know, playing guitar and even songwriting, you know, Alice in Chains. I mean, the orchestration that goes on, um, if you, you know, tune out the, the, brilliant vocals that they do there's so much going on yeah. you know as i you know in a in a day where hopefully weed will be legal everywhere i would say smoke a bowl put on some headphones and listen to alice in chains it'll change your life <laughs> and uh don't sue me for that anybody <laughs> i <laughs> but yeah i mean it's uh obviously you know metallica as we're talking i mean just you know, Pantera, Dimebag, Daryl. It's just like you're you're talking about players that, you know, Eddie Van Halen being another one that just, you know, it's like, are you from this planet? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, you know, this this is unbelievable. You know, so to aspire and and then be inspired to what they brought is is, is just awesome. Yeah, I hope I've I often had this conversation. I've often had the conversation about guitar. And how limited the instrument is, right? Because you can only do so much on it. But how yeah. everybody has a different approach. Yeah. And everybody sounds different. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I, I just had this conversation on a previous podcast where you can put the Stones, Zeppelin, and the Beatles in three different rooms. And they all yes. come out listening to the same stuff. All those, yeah. all those Delta Blues guys. Yeah. Everything, you know? And they all three of them sound completely different, <laughs> right? It's I mean, crazy. even that Sound City documentary that Dave Grohl did, yeah, talk about that. It's just like the same room, same equipment, totally different sound. And uh, I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, it, it it just shows that your personality, or it's like your own fingerprint, um, you know, is, is channeled through whatever you're channeling at that time. Channels through and. It's it's amazing to that that even 
how that happens. I mean, even Jimmy Page, um, what she was doing with uh, Jack White and uh, Edge. Oh, uh, Mike McLeod? Yeah, and he said, you don't know where these ideas come from. You just hope that, whether it's spiritually or whatever, that's set to you, you just hope it doesn't stop. You just don't, you never know where it comes from. And uh, it happens all the time. And yeah, uh, it, it's yeah. it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how Angus Young and Malcolm yes. Young can just basically play three chords. Yeah, and master those yeah. the simplicity of those chords. Yeah, and kick a half a million people in front of them, you know, in like Castle Donington, right in the ass, you know, just like boom, you're getting it. You're getting the full throttle from them and the conviction that they play. Um, I was fortunate, lucky to see them in 2015 at Wrigley Field. Oh. And uh, my buddies like called me, you know, I was probably in a dentist chair. <laughs> and uh, he's like, we're going to ACDC to go. And I remember my dentist was like, well, make sure you, you only have anything cold. And I was like, I'm going to have a lot of cold beverages. Trust me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, stage the size of the outfield it would you know ears ringing noise complaints coming on in the 747 flying over it. it's like man if i was on that plane i'd knock on that captain's door and say turn it around we're going to acdc <laughs> i remember watching an interview with jason newstead and they were playing russia with acdc oh man and they were the first band up and then acdc was the second and they were standing on the side of the stage watching ACDC. And the crowd caused a minor earthquake. Wow. Because you could feel the ground shaking because <laughs> of everybody jumping up and down. He's like, it was the most surreal moment I ever experienced at a concert. They were playing, I think it was Thunderstruck. Yes. And you just felt the ground like shaking. It was insane. There's a DVD. And uh, back in the day when I used to work at a music store in Niles, um, we would have a screen and we would throw on that DVD. And sure enough, there's a quick pan of the camera and you see people starting to bounce. And then as soon as they kick on in, you just see, who knows, probably 20,000 people just in front of that stage to that big booth where they're doing the audio and the lighting. You know, I think there was a half a million people at that show. Mm-hmm. And you just see everyone jumping. And I was just like, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was like, rewind. Let me watch that again. <laughs> rewind. Totally. I was so hooked on that moment. I was like, I can't imagine being on that stage and seeing that. I mean, that's, <laughs> I hope that I get to experience that one day <laughs> without collapsing the stage. <laughs> Have you seen their River Plate show in Argentina? I haven't. I haven't. No. Oh. You got to do that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to search it now. It's on YouTube. You'll you will watch the crowd more than the band. The crowd is insane. I bet. So, I mean, that band can only play stadiums and bigger. I mean, the fact that they even tried getting everybody into Wrigley Field on time was amazing. I mean, there was a point where they're like, "Come in, just go, just take it." Is it shows starting? And they're still trying to get 60,000 people into a door, you know, and all uh, Clark and Addison is just a complete, you know, mess. And there's people outside just listening and hanging on out. I mean, 
man, great band. <laughs> well, I always get discouraged when I hear people go, oh, every song sounds the same. Oh, it's all simple. That's the whole, that's the difficulty of it is the simplicity. It really is. You it know, really because is. there's probably a handful of guys in the world that can break down a note, a riff, like yeah. Malcolm, like Angus, and make it yeah. completely simple, make it completely recognizable, and yeah. make you want to right. dance. You know, right? You know, I it, mean, who, what other yeah. band can do that? You know, like that. You know, and it's if if, if simplicity was so easy, yeah, everybody would do it. Yeah, it's not. It's not, and the fact of how many albums they've done, you know, with those chords, every song has its own personality, and. Uh, right, that conviction to, you know, he can make that one note, part your hair right down the middle and be halfway across the other side of the stadium, you know, in that same time. Yeah. It's, it's like insane. I mean, this is a high energy band. I, I just, I, you know, even at the Grammys when they were doing, uh, when they opened up, it was like, man, how awesome is that? When they, uh, that was their new album. That was around 2015. Yeah. My, uh, my son had a, just don't get that anymore. No, you don't. My son had an audition at the school rock for their house band. And one of the songs that he had to learn was Thunderstruck. Yeah. And he goes, the easy part was the intro. He's like, Malcolm's rhythm patterns are so like, there's no like, you know, one, two, three. One, two, three. It's one, two, four, three, one, three, four. And, and it all sounds, it's all on feel. Yeah. And so tight in the pocket. Right. You know, you know, like a jackhammer of a right hand and just holding it down while his bro is like doing his thing. And a lot of people miss that about them. And it's once you actually try doing it yourself and playing, you're like, this is way more difficult than mm-hmm. they make it appear to be. Um, I mean, even back in black, it's like, it's a feel you got to just to play that riff. You know, I've heard a million ways of how bad it can sound. If you don't do it right, you know, it's just, it's a certain groove that they have and just the way they sit in the pocket, man. It totally, you know, when someone says that you're just like, Amateur, fucking amateur. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And it's funny, was that, I mean, even my guitar teacher, who's like an amazing guitar player, um, I mean, the things that he does on a guitar, you're like, how? You're an alien, dude. You know, I mean, you could go on stage right now with Steve I or Buckethead and tear it up. But we talked ACDC all the time. And he would send me cool, like rare ACDC stuff. He's like, just listen to this. He's like, this is insane. And, uh, and, and mentioned everything that you mentioned, uh, about ACDC. And it's like, it's totally accurate. Totally accurate. So let's talk the new album. Um, yeah. had a lot of success with it. Uh, building a lot of momentum up for you guys. What was the recording process for this? Yeah, I mean, going into it, we didn't have any songs. <laughs> we were, you know, flying in blind. We didn't really, we didn't have like an idea of where we wanted to go with the album. When we decided to start, it was just the mentality of 
kind of like an old school mentality, which is, you know, what the, you know, Aerosmith used to do in the day or U2, which is you're kind of writing and recording as you're going. And uh, that's how it started. And we started with Behind These Eyes, which is our first single. And we just went on in. And a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons why we wanted to write and record at the same time is in the past, you know, anybody who's listening, who's in a band, I'm sure you want to rehearse the songs. You want to make sure you're not going to, you know, over budget yourself in a studio. So you really rehearse it down. And what I, my brother and I, my twin brother is the drummer. And uh, we've always felt that over time is that sometimes you could beat down the idea too much and you start losing the, the spontaneity in a song. And uh, we didn't want to lose that. So it was pretty much click track is going, <laughs> record is going, go. And whatever we came up with, we caught that moment. You know, even if we had to refine it a little bit, um, we still had spontaneity going into what we were doing. And we tried to bring that along with every song that we did. And uh, that's what actually brought upon where this album's at. And Carmine was executive producing. And the first song with Behind His Eyes, I mean, it went through a couple of rewrites. We were close, but not there yet. And uh, we finally got our groove and started hitting it right. And then he was like, great, now do that for every song. <laughs> so and that's what we set out to do. You know, let the song, um, which also kind of goes back to our conversation about what Jimmy Page was saying. It's like, you don't know where that idea comes from. You just hope it doesn't end. And uh, there were moments that would always just, boom, something would happen, you know, or a mistake. You know, which a lot of what this album was built on was on mistakes. And it transformed the song in a way. And we're like, that's it. Let's go with it. And that was the recording process. And that we started right when COVID hit. <laughs> so that brought a, a big challenge because we're on a commercial property. So when they said non-essential business, well, we got pretty much locked out for a solid eight, nine months. Um, so we had to figure out ways to at least create ideas during that time. But uh, mainly we were here every single day, man. Uh, we don't have windows, so you don't know if it's morning or night. You know, if you have a clock, that's the only way that you knew what time it was. And a lot of coffee, a lot of cigarettes, maybe beef jerky <laughs> and go. That's the, uh, the the meal of champions right there. <laughs> yeah. When uh, yeah, when you talk no about ramen the, noodles, <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, when you talk about the spontaneity, how do you, yeah. for one, capture that, and yeah. two, there has to be uh, some stress when you're trying yeah. to, to accomplish that because you can't always yeah. do that in a studio. It's hard to do that, you know, when you're when you're laying down tracks. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stress with hoping that whatever happens is the moment and you know sometimes it's not um if it were that easy you know we would have been done in a couple of weeks <laughs> but uh 
the the one thing that really helped bring that um, is being able to capture multiple takes. Um, usually, it's within the first ten takes um, is where your most spontaneity come on in, specifically in your first take. You know, you make sure everything was mic'd up and good to go on your levels. Take one, go. And uh, you know, uh, I know for even with my brother. Uh, with drums, you know, there's things where you're just improving as you go. You know, you're just in the zone, and you're glad that you actually had record on. Uh, was it if we didn't? Um, I know for his sake, and even for my sake, and Will's sake, even vocally, uh, we would have missed a lot of great performances if we just decided to say, "Hey, give it a run through," and then we record. Instead, we took the attitude of, like, we're recording right away, no matter what happens. If you nail it, great. If it was terrible, then we'll go for another pass. Um, we caught a lot of spontaneity by just jumping in the fire. And as far as the producer goes, you yeah. know, he's got to be on board for that, too, because yeah. you know, it's a different way of approach. It's a different approach to, to, to record music. Was there any pushback? Um, on how you guys wanted to develop the music? Um, the best thing that uh, what's great with working with Carmine, uh, one, he's brutally honest, you know, so he'll let you know if you're on the right path or not. Um, but he will hear things that we're not hearing, uh, whether it's key changes or an arrangement that we should bring back. And, um, but he never really told us what to do. He always let us figure out our way of achieving that. And, you know, uh, sometimes it wasn't there and we, we had to take some time to try to figure out what he was saying. Um, but we ended up capturing it and it was like, yeah, that's it right there. That's, that's badass, you know. So, or he'll be like, that's badass. Why aren't you doing that again? And we're like, well, we didn't think about it. And he's like, dude, you got to bring it back. Um, you know, we had a chorus key change on one where he's like, yeah, change the key, you know, and boom, it opened up a whole different world. So that, that's, that's the best part working with Karma. He brings so much experience, um, you know, vanilla fudge. I mean, he was Jeff Beck's drummer. Jeff, yeah, I mean, Beck Bogart piece, the super group. You know, Blue Murder, uh, worked Rod Stewart, also Ozzy. So, I mean, he, he has King such Cobra? an experience. King Come Cobra. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the the experience he has on songwriting. Yeah, I mean, he knows when the hook's there, and he knows when you're on the right track. And he lets you run with it, um, which is what's great. Uh, I, you know, I... I haven't worked with any other producers. Um, I can imagine their moments where they're like, no, you can't do that. You know, Carmine wasn't like that. He was always open for us to discover our moments or uh, a sound that we, you know, will create in the song. And that's uh, a blessing to have, to, to be able to have that freedom and let us step up our own game. When When you think, to the, to the lyrical content of the songs that are on the album, you know, how, how, what was that approach for the band? Was there, 
Was there a, a theme going into it? There was, was there something you wanted to capture? Was it, I mean, did anything yeah. change because of the pandemic? Um, you know, for William, he, you know, outside of writing lyrics, you know, he was, he does a lot of poetry, you know, and he, he kind of reminded me a lot of Jim Morrison on how deep his writing went. Um, and he writes great lyrics and can be really twisted in his lyrical content. So for my brother and I, it was like, man, like write what you feel, um, that you're being inspired from what we're working together on this. There was never any idea or concept. Um, you know, we'd work together in the studio, you'd go home with a rough and, you know, a couple of days later, I'd be like, Hey, check this shit out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And my brother and I'd be like, what the fuck are you thinking when you came up with this? Like, wow, man, I would never have thought about this. This is pretty crazy. Um, so he, he dives into a lot of personal experience or, um, he'll dive in from outer influence experience that might affect him. And then he just runs with it and it just flows out for him. So, um, you know, I think even behind his eyes is more of like a, a song about inner reflection, you know, and the one way to put it is, are you going to take the path good or are you going to be a piece of shit? <laughs> You know what I mean? It's one way to put it. And it's, you know, the decision is yours. And uh, hopefully you would take the right path. Um, so it, it's, a you know, looking at your inner self and who you want to be as a person. So that was a very interesting take. When you think of the music, the lyrics, are the lyrics written first or, are the, uh, or is the music written first? You know, it could happen both ways. Um, I mean, there were some ideas where uh, William had lyrics, you know, when a, a melody idea or he had an acoustic idea. Because he plays guitar left-handed on a right-handed guitar. <laughs> so trying to even transpose that sometimes is usually like a freak of nature because it's not really conventional to have your low strings be your high strings and play that way. So, um, there, there were, you know, he'll bring things to the table that way. And, or we, my brother and I brought music to the table and it, it just worked out in that, that way. Um, wherever we can grab inspiration is where we went with it. Prior to the pandemic and we've talked about yeah. this so many times on the show, you know, rock and metal really was not in a good place just in terms yeah. of relevancy in terms yeah. of, you know, really taking a back seat to a lot of other yeah. genres. I mean, not just the back seat, probably the trunk of the car, you know, yeah. it just wasn't being, right. and there was, you know, and then left on the corner by the garbage cans. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> you know with your, you know, maybe a, a 40 sitting next to you and a ham sandwich, <laughs> a warm 40, um, a warm 40. Yeah. Which but will now, be your first bottle later. <laughs> you need that bottle. Trust me. Um, I think the thing that you see now is a complete resurgence, a, the beginning of a resurgence. There's still a long way to go um, and a lot to make up because it really, you know, for dec a decade plus, it was very little 
movement, very little. I mean, they don't even show the rock awards and who cares what the yeah. Grammys want to do or whatever. Yeah. But it seems like there's been such a push uh, from young people to yeah. really listen to this music and really get into it. Um, what are you seeing? What are you feeling You know, while you're making the music? What do I see and what do I feel while we're making it? So what we're writing? Well, just like the just the the reaction and the and the feedback that you're getting from people that are listening to your music compared to what it was before the pandemic. Man, it's night and day from what it was. Um, I mean, like you said, uh, just rock and metal just took such a back seat. Um, I think in general, I think people finally started wanting to have more substance. In music, um, you know, with more in-depth meaning and uh, than your typical, like, hey, I'm going to program drums and, and you know, your regurgitated stuff that you hear, you know, auto-tuned to the gills, you know, that um, I, I think a lot of that, I think people just started to get tired of that, you know, and some people aren't, they still like that stuff. Um, I, I've always been a rock guy i do like some hip-hop i'm big dr dre fan and eminem and and tupac uh which i think was the last of the way to write hip-hop and and the melody and the grooves um that's why they're so strong today i mean just watch that super bowl that took place and it was just how powerful that music was um there was a reason why that took the forefront um, and held its own. It was kind of like the their heavy metal at that time or grunge that they had to compete against. And the hip-hop, that, which is still, I would say, mainstream today, um, it isn't that good. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's some great artists. I'm not trying to put it down. People are probably going to try to burn my house down now for saying that. But, uh, I think people wanted to hear something different, man. You know, it's been since the 90s, since we even had such a rock movement, or even early 2000s when Corn and Limp Biscuit were kind of running the show. And, or like Our Lady Peace. Uh, I mean, that, for, for me, I mean, that I've always been a rock guy, and, and I think just, it's nice to hear fresh rock and metal starting to come on out. Um, so I, I, I think maybe that's could be a lot of it. Everyone, you know, last 20 years have been hearing the same hip hop and pop being yeah. reformulated, you know, just your typical conveyor belt music. And, uh, you know, and with no substance to it. I mean, that's just my take on it. You know, I, I like to hear something with substance. Yeah, I I do think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, especially for young people who are growing up in a different world than you and I grew up. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. The oversensitivity to things, uh, the constant, you know, partisanship, you know, yeah. just nastiness. And yeah. I think that type of those types of experiences feed into 
a kid wanting to listen to rock and yeah. music, you know yeah um especially in a time that we're in right now that's just yeah. flipped the world upside down and yeah. um you know m- maybe they're gravitating towards m- now music that reflects how they feel and that that uh i i would say i mean obviously inspire them but also like a voice for them you know um yeah i mean we had nirvana and alice and james a whole different voice um that during our our era music you know Soundgarden. you know i mean it was something that people felt part of and i i just think that that kind of that fell away after grunge yeah you know looking back I grew up in the eighties, so it was the you know priest and maiden, yeah, Motley Crue, Van Halen, and and yeah. these great bands that were. I mean, even the glam bands, you know, like you think of like yeah. LA Guns or Faster Pussycat, you know, yeah. they had a unique sound. They had a, a great flavor for what they did, and then it seemed to become a parody. It was almost Spinal Tapish towards the end. Yeah. You know, when I've said this before, where bands were getting signed based on what they look like instead of how they could play. <laughs> and whether it's Aquanet or not. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I often tell this story on the podcast. I remember going to the grocery store with my mom and as she went to go shop. I went to the magazine section and read Hit Parader and Circus yeah. and Metal yeah. And I remember they would have these new bands that they would spotlight. And I remember, oh, I've heard that band before. I saw their video or I heard yeah. them on the radio, you know, here in Chicago. Towards the end, they would spotlight bands. I'm like, I never heard this band, but they had the teased hair. They had the right look and everything, yeah. but the music was crap. And, yeah. you know, then you had the grunge movement come in, which is really tough for me to accept. But, yeah. you know, Alice in Chains yeah. and Soundgarden, I immediately connected with. I remember yeah. seeing um, Alice in Chains open up for Anthrax. Wow. That was a great bill. Um, Nirvana, I could never get into for whatever reason. Yeah. Pearl Jam took me a while, but Soundgarden, Alice and Chains were definitely the two that I really liked. Those Um, were the two for me. I mean, I, I obviously, I I was an eighties guy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think to, to add to what you're saying is, um, it's always interesting is that as a new genre, a trend that gets built begins, over time they just camp it out and the ones that started it are the ones that stay yeah Yeah. and i mean like you said van halen i mean come on i mean like not going anywhere those guys are going to keep pioneering their way through any uh change of music trend in which they did you know they they stood strong right through the 90s um when when the whole grunge movement came and and then there was a period where grunge movement started getting a little bit like okay this is this is getting ridiculous mm-hmm. um um even though there were a lot of great bands that did pop on out here and there through the 90s but you know i i think even d snyder has talked about uh with the 80s that you know it was later on with all like you said the hair teasing and the neon and and all that neon light guitars and just well, it, more, it became more a circus. Like they, yeah, yeah, they just buried themselves right um, 
I, I, I wasn't even really, you know, those bands that came out in the eighties that pioneered it, you know, it was the music that started it. Yeah. And everyone it, wants to blame Nirvana and Pearl Jam. I blame bands like Hurricane Alice and uh, <laughs> YYZ or XYZ and uh, some of the kit, kits and claws or cats and claws. I'm like, come on. I mean, how do you take those bands serious? You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, they offered nothing that was new. Is my yeah. point. Everything yeah. had been done before. And, you know, then you had the grunge movement, which wasn't around for that long of a time. No, you know, it wasn't. Um, you know, it, it wasn't as years, long as the glam years. movement in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, glam, you know, stuck around for a solid decade and still relevant, still to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, grunge. I think you know was flying hot for four or five years. Yeah, you know, and then yeah, and then the a shift started kind of happening. I mean, obviously, death of Kurt Cobain was. Uh, the first set of a shock to everybody. And then, I mean, look at it now. Um, and, and it's a shame that, you know, they've passed away because there's so much more they could have offered um, to the world, I think, in time. But still, I mean, what r- really towards the mid end of 90s, I mean, I can't really think of anything else. You know, maybe if I thought about it for a while, I could probably come up with some bands. But well, I mean, there was a lot of things after that movement that was very uninspiring. Yeah. You know, like it was kind of like, eh, okay. You know, yeah. there wasn't like that innovative. I mean, the only band that I can think of after the grunge movement that was really kind of innovative was the Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. You know, and of course there yeah. was new metal, but I never really got into new metal. Yeah. So I can't really speak about it. But Rage yeah. was like, you know, this, you know, with Morello on guitar and, yeah. Doing something different there too as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was Yeah, I mean then and you know, corn was on their way. Yeah. Um, you know, they were you know, they had a cool like a hip hop element almost in their uh music, which was interesting, but were different. You know, um I think also what set them apart from everybody was that uh they were abrasive and it was you know, they slapped it right inside the head and uh, they did it their way. And, uh, and that just any band in, in any genre in, in the history of music always did that in some sort of way, whether it was Eddie Van Halen, like, tear, you know, him and his brother and, and the guys just coming out with the, the material they were writing with that nobody's ever even heard, you know, then later on came the ones that tried to follow that. You're never going to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're never going to. Uh, um, I mean, even Metallica. If you want to go back that far, I mean, you know, Slayer, you know, Anthrax. Yeah, I mean, and and I even mentioned Testament. I mean, so and Sepultura. I mean, those guys were like, they shocked you, you know, and and that's why they are to this day. You know, holding it. Yeah, I, I still think too. Another band that has been forgotten about is Sabotage. Those guys yeah. were absolutely incredible. Those yeah. guys were, you know, just fantastic. I mean, they they were big in Chicago. I mean, they would sell out the old Gateway Theater like three nights. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, the Gateway's still there too, man. It, but it's not, it's not, it's it's not there anymore, is it? Yeah, 
Um, and I believe they have started doing concerts again. Um, no way. Yes. Uh, right before COVID, uh, I believe Zach Wilde played there. Now, how awesome is that? Is it is it called something? Is it still called it's the Gateway? It's Copernicus Center now. Ah, okay. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, and and they also had like the G three, you know, which was like uh, Satriani and Vi and Ingve. It's called so, the Copernicus Center. Copernicus Center, Copernicus. yeah, right okay. off of Milwaukee and Lawrence. There, no yeah. Kidding. So they started bringing shows back, which is awesome. What was the place in the city that when you'd stand in line for the for the general admission show? I think it was the Vic. There'd be a guy that would come out from the alley asking if you wanted to buy a ham sandwich. <laughs> I can't remember both. It probably was the Vic. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, who wants to buy a ham sandwich? Like, how old is that bread? You know, like it's freshly pressed. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it never fails. Every time I was at the Vic, and this, the guy would come out. Here he comes. You know. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the Vic, and the Vic is still there. Yeah, I just uh, saw Rivals somewhere. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Jerry Control was just over there. He was. He yeah, was. which I missed it. <sighs> Bummer. At, yeah. So what's up for, you know, what's next for you guys? You got uh, this great album coming out. It's, it's uh, or it came out last Friday. Yeah. And, you know, it's doing very well. Um, what's next for, for what you guys are going to do? So uh, right now, I mean, we're booking shows. Uh, right now, we have one pended on June 10th uh, at Bourbon Street in Marionette Park. Um, also, too, we're working out um, touring right now as we speak. So we're just trying to get that figured out. But, uh, you know, we're trying to slowly work our way back into this post-COVID, still COVID moment. Um, which has been extremely challenging for booking shows. Mm -hmm. um, we just did two shows a few weeks ago at the Forge. Oh, enjoy it. Um, yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, my <laughs> friend calls it toilet. <laughs> I'm so getting. I'm gonna have to leave Chicago after this podcast. <laughs> uh, it's funny they said that. My friend calls it that too. Um, yeah. So we just did the Forge, which was an awesome show, and then we did WC Social Club in West Chicago okay. with uh, Texas Hippie Coalition, which was right. awesome. And then um, this other one coming on up. And in that meantime, it's just been really trying to one book more shows, get a tour going, and then also these interviews. These interviews have been insane. And it's awesome. Um, I mean, the schedule's filling up. And, and I, can, I can't keep track of my emails uh, the way the thread is. I'm like, oh, my God, did I miss this? Like, oh, okay, I got to put that in my calendar. So the, the beginning stages of the, this success that's building off of this album has been a lot to take in. So we're trying to just not only manage the time right and get shows going, but keeping our heads together just right <laughs> because it's been a whirlpool right now. Yeah, you know, it's it's great to have music back. Um I just uh went and saw Dirty Honey and Mammoth at the House of Blues, which was awesome. Um and you know, I do a lot of shows every year. I go up to the forge a handful of times. I think Clutch is playing there in the middle of oh, April. Great band. I love yeah. that band. Yeah. 
but no, it's a great venue. It's a, it's a killer yeah, venue. It um, is. I saw Dead Daisies there last nice. year with Glenn Hughes. Man, the guy's like seventy two. Nice, and he just nice. kills it. He kills nice. it. It's like, man, like you're you're not supposed to sing like that at that age. But man, he nails it. It's awesome. You know? Man, you know who blew me away was uh, Ripper Owens. Yeah. Um, I saw him at tailgaters and went with uh, a couple of friends. Yeah. And it was like, wow. I mean, that dude is amazing. So is if open? he ever comes back around again, I'm going to go see that show. Is that still open tailgaters? It is. Yeah. So Cause I, it's hard I, to tell which ones didn't make it through COVID. A lot of them buckled. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know double doors working on their way back. Hopefully, that's an iconic. Yeah, I miss that place. Um, I know they got a new building, so they're slowly putting that together. Can't wait for that. (laughs) I hope it has the personality that the old one had. I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. Like that red tinted light that was throughout the whole club that you thought you were in like the red light district in Germany, you know, (laughs) while you were there. It's like, like, is it going to have that, you know? Just Dirty rock and roll. Oh yeah, that's what, yeah. That's why I love yeah. going down to like the Aragon and the Riv and all those mm-hmm. places, man. It's just because the history is just so prevalent yeah. when you walk in there. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of venues did shut down, and some are still holding. Um, I mean, a lot of them closed in the city. I would say a lot of them are opening up outside of the city, which is interesting. Yeah, so absolutely, um, which is cool. Um, I. I don't, I don't know if you remember Clearwater Theater out in, uh, West Dundee. Yeah. It's uh, the Rock House now. The Rock House. Yeah. Place is awesome. Awesome. It is. They, I mean, updated everything. It looks beautiful in there. The sound is amazing. Uh, we got to play there before COVID, which was fantastic. And it was just a great night. Um, Displains yeah. Theater. So, I mean, uh, which one? Displains Theater. Yeah, that's now uh, Ron Onesti uh, has that. And I, I got to see some video footage of it. And he really decked that place out, man. I, I still can't believe that. Which is right down the street from our studio. Yes. So, like, how, how crazy it to hear. It's like, hey, you know, Skid Row's over there. <laughs> you know, it's like. Ingve played there. I Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I grew up in this place. Ingve is playing my hometown. This is insane. Yeah. And that place for years was always trying to open and finally they, they made it happen. And, uh, I drove by it, drove by it like a week ago and it's fancy. (laughs) It's fancy. So props to Ron for, uh, bringing back, you know, good old rock and roll and entertainment locally. Um, you know, that doesn't require us to, you know, hitchhike away into the city. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's a great yeah. location. It's right across the street from the train station. So you yeah. can get people from Woodstock and get people from the city. It's yeah. a perfect location. Yeah. And uh, I mean, out in, in the city is what house of blues and Metro are still holding, holding the fort down there. Yeah. Cubby yeah. bear, cubby bear. Cubby bear. Then, I haven't seen a show at the cubby bear in forever. Yeah, I mean that place it, is updated. Bar, though. Uh they've been doing quite a bit now. Um, I would say tribute bands in there. Yeah. W- which is fine. There were some metal shows that I got to see in there uh you know years ago, but they updated that whole place, the stage and the sound. 
So that place is awesome. Um, you know, I, I think the city knew the Cubs were going to win the World Series. So they now have made it more touristy in that area and parking mm-hmm. garages. <laughs> you know, I don't know who, who they greased for that World Series win because yeah. or uh, that really did. They really did break that curse from that goat because they had those garages ready to go. <laughs> totally. I'm going to get a lot yeah, of Cubs haters, so man. I'm a White Sox guy. Sorry. <laughs> we all have our flaws, Mikey. We all have our oh, flaws. Man. I'm going to have to leave the city. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave the city. Maybe you can edit some of those out for my safety. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, I'm a big fan of the album. Uh, I, you know, it's nice to see a Chicago band. You know, I think the only other band that I've had on from Chicago um, was when I first started this podcast, a band called Erico. Nice. Yeah. And nice. Um, I saw them open up for Diamond Head at the Forge. Oh my God. Dude, and I'm like, I got to awesome. have those guys on. Yeah. 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 So, oh, that's great. I hope they release something. They haven't put out something in like a couple of years. Not, not a whole lot of original bands. Um, really it, right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the cover band market has been, uh, kind of dominating. So, I mean, there are three or four bands that, uh, we got to reach out to that pre COVID that were kicking some ass and then are now, I think, doing some more albums. So hopefully the, uh, the scene can even get back to where it was 20 years ago where every club you walk down on the street, you know, full house another set of bands that you met. So I look forward for that day to come back. And I I think it'll, it'll be there. I do too. I think it's growing. I think Chicago is a big rock town. Um, But yeah, I'm not, you know, the the tribute bands, the cover bands are. It's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. Too many. There's too many. So. And there's a few that are great. Don't get me wrong. There's a few that are great, but it's, it's like, another one <laughs> you know wait there you know a new band comes on out and they, there's a tribute band already for it you know so it's just like much. okay you know i mean i like to see more original bands you know all of us band together and be uh the the vigilantes i i would put it <laughs> and terrorize the city and do what we used to do <laughs> and do what we do well <laughs> So. absolutely man is that's rocking out and chicago's always been a big town for it and yeah. it needs to come back um yeah. but hey man it's been a blast i i really yeah. appreciate you you coming Thank on you, um, you come on anytime man uh it was a it, you know talking about uh you know some of the places around town and and uh you know that was a lot of fun for well, me to do i'll that. make sure to get a gene and jude so we do another podcast and i'll just hold it up right there <laughs> and then I'll feed it to our singer. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, he'll, he'll sing better. If you, if you do that, man, he, he, he probably will. And he'll be like, this was the key. I needed gin and juice. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, well, or he'll, or he'll probably, because he's a South sider. He'll probably slap me with that thing. And be like, no, I got a dog for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's not as good on the South Side. South Side's like a different country, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, He's a South Sider. But, hey, we have one thing in common. We're White Sox fans. Sorry. <laughs> and we got the same love of metal, you know? There you so, go. There you go. 
it works out. He's a good dude. Can awesome. sing his ass off. So props to him for putting up with my brother and I. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey man, thanks again. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Um, tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, okay. So we're on all the media socials, as I like to say, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. To reach out to us, we will write back to you. Um, and, uh, you know, you go to our main website, chainsoverrazors.com. You could write to us. But, uh, you know, Facebook, or Twitter, we're, we're on it all the time. And you'll see our goofy bastard remarks all day long. So if you, you want to have a good time and, you know, reach out to us and you'll probably piss yourself laughing. So... <laughs> There you go, man. That's awesome. Don't forget to get your their new album, too. Uh, their second sophomore release. Go pick up a physical copy. You can find the merch link on their websites um, and go and search that up and get it and buy some physical copies of music. Don't stream. Anyway, Mikey, it's been a blast. Yeah, Thanks for doing this, man. The, get the artwork, all the cool stuff you can read. Absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely. I had, I had a great time. Thank you for having me on here, and uh, let's do this again. Absolutely. Everyone, that's Mikey V from Chains Over Razors. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.